Welcome to today's sermon, Jesus, both the sacrificial lamb and the good shepherd. I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. In today's sermon, taken from John 10, we get a description of Jesus as both the lamb of God and the good shepherd for the church, which gives us a broad picture of Jesus in both his salvific and authoritative role for Christians. Hopefully, this picture of Christ leads us to a better understanding and a greater appreciation of our Messiah. John 10 presents the end of Jesus' public ministry. And what's interesting is the chapter ends almost where his ministry begins. If you read John 10, 42, it talks about Jesus went back to Bethany, and you read John 1, 28, that's where it says John the Baptist was baptizing at, in Bethany, where he was proclaiming that this one who he's unworthy to unlatch the shoes, the sandal straps of, is coming. So it almost kind of brings it back to full circle, where Jesus is first announced to come by John the Baptist, he goes back to after he has proclaimed God's truth, after he has presented these signs, these acts that God is really working with them. And as he has as he's faced this opposition that wants to kill him because he has spoken the truth. But John's validation, no, John's proclamation, testimony of the Christ was validated in everything that Jesus did. So what John the Baptist told the people that Jesus was going to do, who Jesus was, was validated by the very acts that Jesus did. And so what we have is not only uh, returning back to the beginning, but an affirmation of what was said at the beginning through John the Baptist, that this one who was coming after him was actually before him and was greater than him because he came from the father and Jesus came and he testified to that and everything that John said Jesus actually did and the people believed Jesus because they acknowledged what John said was true but we get these two different kind of looks at who Jesus is and they're both embedded, embraced around this analogy of shepherding a sheep, a flock. So John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he says in John 1. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. And both of these analogies are centered around this concept of shepherding, leading uh, an animal to safety and security for its benefit. And John sees Jesus as the lamb, which we know to be the sacrificial lamb, which saves people because of the sacrifice that it gives, that it is offered, that it is slaughtered so that the people who are under the sacrifice benefit from. And that is rooted in Passover. When God said, take a lamb, a year old, a male lamb, firstborn, and wipe its blood over the doorpost, and everybody who has the blood over that doorpost, their firstborn son will be saved. When this didn't happen, the firstborn son in that household in all of Egypt was slaughtered, and there was a great cry causing the Pharaoh to send God's people up out of Egypt 
because he just couldn't take any more of God's plagues and God's punishments. But that was a sign that God was actually the God of not just the Israelites, but over all his people and that he was calling his people from Egypt to become a nation. But that sacrifice of the lamb is what saved the people that God was saving. And now we have in Jesus Christ, the lamb is going to save people from sin if they're washed in his blood. And we know that that means if you're baptized. And so it's the sacrifice of a lamb that John the Baptist acknowledges that is located in the identity of Jesus that's going to save the people. That's John 1. But in John 10, it's Jesus Christ who says, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd, meaning I am the access into this flock of God. I am the only way to be included into the people that God is saving. I am the one who's going to watch over this flock. I'm going to lead it to safety, security, provide for it, unlike the other shepherds who are bad, who only look to benefit, profit off the flock. You see, they're both utilizing this well-known way of life, which is shepherding, that all of the Israelites, the Jews, would be very accustomed to in that day because they ate lamb. It was essential to their livelihood. They wore the wool that came from the lamb. They drank the milk that came from it. So they benefited from this animal, and they had people that tended to these flocks and they also used it in a sacrifice to God. So they was well accustomed to shepherding and sheep and flock and the analogy that Jesus used, that John used, that pointed to this act of shepherding and its role in salvation and this sheep and its actual uh, utilization in saving of them as well. Because every Passover, they reenacted what God had done. And they utilized a lamb. And now they were to locate that salvation from that lamb in Jesus Christ. But they were also to understand that the one who keeps lambs, who protects lambs, who, who provides for lambs was also Jesus Christ. It's interesting. I was uh, watching this video of shepherds who shepherd in kind of the same way that they did when Jesus walked the earth. And the shepherds said, that a good shepherd actually becomes like the sheep because they must take the sheep through this journey. They must stay out in the wilderness with this sheep and they have to provide and live off the land just as the sheep does. And we see that that's what Jesus did when he came and took on the form of man so that he could lead us back to God. He became a sheep to shepherd over us and it's beautiful it shows the love that he has for this creation it shows the depth of sacrifice he's willing to take on so that we can have an eternal stay in God's flock in heaven and so as we look at John 10 we recognize that there's this theme of a sheep in it. But before we look at that, what's interesting is that John 10 is 
in between John 9 and John 11. And one of the things that is well known about shepherds, especially in Jesus' days, is that all they have to do is call out to their sheep and their sheep respond to their voice. So in John chapter 9, we have this man who was born blind, who Jesus heals, and it's through the act of putting mud and putting it on his uh, eyes, but also Jesus confronts him after he sees his sight and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, who is he? He says, I am he, even the one who's speaking to you. He's calling out to him, and he believes. And then in John 11, we have this story of a Lazarus who's dead. And Jesus goes to the grave and calls Lazarus from the dead. And he hears him. And he's brought back to life. So as Jesus talks about my sheep hear me in this chapter, it's evidence in the fact that a blind man receives sight. And not because he saw, but because he heard. His faith was put in Jesus. A dead man woke up from the dead because he heard the voice of Jesus and he walked again. And so Jesus is showing us that as he speaks, his sheep will hear and respond appropriately. And those who are not his sheep, not of his flock, they can hear, they can see and it still has no impact on their faith. Because Jesus has been teaching up until this point to where he ends his public ministry and he is pro- proclaiming this message from God and he's been doing it in the midst of opposition. And he has not just been proclaiming, he has been doing acts and signs and wonders that nobody can refute, but they still do not put faith in the fact that Jesus is the son of God. Why? Because they cannot hear what Jesus is saying because it does not register with what they think. They're not a sheep. They're following another message and that message is derived mainly from their understanding and not from God's. So as Jesus uses this analogy of a sheep, I think that all of those Jews who are well aware of scripture would have thought back to passages like Psalm 23, Psalm 80, and even uh, Ezekiel 34 to where God is condemning the Israelites because they have had shepherds over his people and those shepherds were only out to benefit, to use and abuse the flock so that they could get rich, so that they could eat off the flock and that they actually scattered the flock Instead of uniting them like Jesus did. Because we know that in Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' death, what he really does is he unites all of God's people, Jews and Gentiles, into one central flock, which is the church. And in Ezekiel 34, I want to say about the 24th verse, we have a prophecy that God is going to put David over his flock. Now, Ezekiel is writing long after the time that David has died. But God has given a a prophecy to David that he would have a king to forever reign over his people.
And then we have all the acknowledgments in Old Testament prophecy to where God is considering the people that follow him as a flock. But what's interesting is if you think about these influential leaders of God's people at some point in their life, they were shepherds. Abraham. Moses, a shepherd. David, a shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd. And so there's something to be said about the fact that this analogy of a shepherd is what Jesus is linked to. But there's also something to be said that if you think about them being examples of good shepherds and Jesus encapsulating that and being the uh, the the ultimate example of the good shepherd and and he's going to bring God's flock to him. There was also others who were not good shepherds. You think of all the kings of God's people who just wanted to fleece them, who just wanted to benefit off of them. You might think of Ahab. You might think of a a Manasseh who was said to be the worst king for most of his reign. You might think of a a Rehoboam who at the beginning said, my little finger is going to be thicker than my father's thigh upon the people because he was listening to his young advisors and they wanted to just get all that they could from the people. You might think of a Jeroboam who didn't want to lose a flock, so he he found another way in which to worship a God, not God, because it wasn't according to Scripture. But all of these people who were over God's flock who led them astray because they were utilizing their own understandings to lead God's people, which caused division. And they're bad shepherds. And this bad leadership culminating in the Jews at the time where Jesus walked this earth who do not accept the teachings from Jesus, who do not see the fulfillment of scripture in the Christ. And they want to kill Jesus because he's teaching, preaching against their vain practices, upholding their law, teaching against the vanity of how they approach a relationship with God because they're not doing it as God wants. And he's a good shepherd. And so like any good shepherd, he's willing to risk his life for his flock. So he doesn't cower. He doesn't get scared when he's confronted with this opposition that's telling them that you guys are not living to God's standard and you're actually going against what God has called you to do as a leader of his people. And doing that, he is willing to risk his life and he lays it down, he says, because God has given me the authority to and the authority to pick it up. And that's what he does. But in doing that, it's not man who kills him. It's according to God's holy plan to save his flock. So even in this passage and other passages in John, Jesus, the good shepherd, is in conflict to where Jews want to stone him. And what happens? It's not his hour. So he evades 
the trouble that man wants to give him. But he's not worried about it because it's not his hour. And as a good shepherd, willing to lay down his life, he knows that there's a time going to come when he must lay it down for the benefit of the flock, but it will not be according to when man wants to, but when God wants to, because he has to still provide, teach, guide his flock. And he does that. And so some of the claims that Jesus asserts in John 12, as he's teaching, leading, guiding, putting himself in harm's way for his flock is he tells them. There are others who wish bad intent on this flock. First one. His sheep recognize his voice and follow him. He is the only entrance into the flock that God is actually calling to himself. Jesus will sacrifice himself for the flock. And his life will provide eternal security and eternal life for the flock. Let's read Jesus's own words. As he says this, I just wanted to have those thoughts in our mind as we confront this passage, because I just have a few, a few considerations for us. As Jesus's flock. John 10. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door unto the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And the stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine as the father knoweth me. Even so know I the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. 
Therefore, doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. There was a division, therefore, again, amongst the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, he hath the devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walketh in the temple of Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The words that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which give them me, my father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. There's a little bit more background in there. John 10, 1 through 18 actually fits better with John 9. And in John 9, it's a festival. And in that uh, context of that festival story, that's where you have Jesus healing the blind man. And then you see in John 10, 22, it talks about another festival. It's about a couple of month gaps, about three months in between John 21 and John 22. So while scripture puts it all together, and I believe they put it together because in the same context, Jesus is referencing his flock and how Jesus shepherd over him. It should be kept in mind that there is a, a little bit of time difference in between the telling of both of these stories. And so Jesus is utilizing this, this analogy of a shepherd to tell people, I have one flock. This flock is given to me by God. I am the shepherd of it. And if you're in that flock, you're going to hear my words. And if you hear my words, you have an eternal promise from God. And also, if you understand that eternal promise, you can be assured that nobody can take you away from it. Because they cannot take you out of my father's hand. And so, as his flock, we know that we can be assured that we are safe and secure with our shepherd. We also know that there is opposition to the teachings of Jesus and that we must pay every attention to listen to his words. Because there's a lot of messages in this world that are is vying for our attention. There's a lot of causes that's trying to garner our allegiance. 
And if it's not of Christ, then it's not going to lead us into this flock that's going to provide eternal life. And some of those things might appear to be right by appearance. They might appear to be accepted by the population at large. But in actuality, it's not of God. Think about it. What Jesus was actually confronting was the hypocritical Jewish leaders. They were of God's chosen people, but they didn't listen to God. They were at the place where God told his people to worship, but they didn't worship in spirit and in truth. They presented themselves as leaders amongst God's people, but they were actually scattering God's flock. And so they presented like the people that God would want to lead his people, but in actuality, they were causing people not to follow God. And so it's important that as we consider, critique, and and weigh every message that comes before us, we look at the content of that message. We look at the origin of that message. And we recognize if it's from Jesus or if it's not. Because if it's not from Christ, then it's not going to give us the blessings of God. And it doesn't matter how well polished it is, it doesn't hold the security that only God can. It doesn't afford the eternal promise that only God can give us. And we don't want to get lost. We don't want to get caught up. We don't want to get fooled by people who present as godly people but who really have self-seeking motives. And as we think about that, it's not just people. We don't want to get caught up in causes. We don't want to get caught up in activities that are going to cause us not to align our wills with God because it's easy. We live in this world. And as the Jewish leaders showed, it can come to the point to where you are so engulfed and your ideology, your thinking, that you start to think that your way is the right way, even when it is in opposition, confrontation, exposed by God. Everybody acknowledged that the works that Jesus did were right, were good. Later on in this chapter, Jesus says, You're picking up stones to stone me. Why? For what work are you going to stone me for? They say it's not because of the works you do, acknowledging that the works he did was good. Nobody else did this. Who else healed a man born blind? Who else healed a man who was lame for 38 years? Who else can raise the dead with just a call? Who else can cast out demons? Nobody. Turn water into wine. Nobody. But the method, the way in which he did it didn't align with their thinking. And it's important for us never to get to the point to where our thinking causes us not to understand God's will. Because if we do, we might be a shepherd, but it won't be the shepherd that God has chosen in Christ. We might be part of a flock, but it won't be part of the flock that receives eternal life because it's not being led by the shepherd which is Jesus Christ 
And if we understand that we are in Jesus's shepherd and we have silenced all the voices that would call us away from Christ. We should rest assured that our promise is secure. Nothing, nothing can take us out of God's hand. Why? Because God is stronger than everything. Opposition, it cannot make us lose our promise. The bad times cannot make us lose our promise. Even if everybody in the world is doubting us and we have faith in God, it cannot make us lose our promise. Why? Because they cannot overcome God's might. Jesus stood amongst the Pharisees, the Jews, the Sanhedrin, even Pilate and Rome, and he did not quiver, did not back down, but accepted what God had said, I need you to do to save my people. And God validated, vindicated him through his death. And it's not as if the Jews, Pilate, killed Jesus. No. I lay down my life and I take it back up. Why? Because God has given me the authority. When we go with that assurance that God is, is, is really protecting us, then we'll be okay no matter what we go through. Because we can stand on God's promises, on God's might, and God's strength, recognizing it's not ours. We're not strong enough. We can't fight every battle. We can't overcome every enemy on our own strength. But God can. And God will vindicate us if we stand with him in faith. Sometimes we don't even have to confront the opposition. They picked up stones to stone Jesus. But it wasn't his hour. So he just leaves. It's not his hour, so God provides a way out for him. But when it is his hour, God provides the strength for him to make it through. It's not easy. Three times Jesus prayed. In one account, he's praying so hard, blood comes out. Of the flesh, he didn't want to do it. But not my will, thy will be done. And we could pray like that because we know that God is our shepherd. And that even though we walk through the valley of death, we shall fear no evil. Because God is our shepherd. At the end of that valley is an eternal pasture with eternal goodness for those who hold on to faith. Nothing can shake us. And the beauty of that is that we have a shepherd that loves us. Loves us so much so that he's willing to confront the danger before us. Jesus opposed Satan so that we can be assured that he has power over him. Jesus confronted death and rose up from it so that we could be assured that his promises is true, that death will not negate 
the promises, the eternal life that God has for us. Jesus showed us that what he said is true. Scripture testifies to it. John the Baptist testified to it. God's works in Jesus testified to it. The Holy Spirit testifies to it. His teachings testify to it. But the only way that we can receive the depth of that love, the hope of that eternal pasture, the guarantee of the providence and security of being in God's hand is by believing in the words of Christ, knowing his words. Because if you don't know his words, you don't know his voice. And if you don't know his voice, it's another voice that is leading you. So as we go through this life, I would constantly encourage us all to trust God. Learn his word so that we can hear his voice no matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through. Because we might be like the blind man and we cannot see our way through it, but we felt God did something to us. And we couldn't recognize that it was God until he came and he spoke until Jesus says, do you believe in me? And that's when the blind man acknowledged he believed. Not because he felt. He acknowledged he felt. He acknowledged he saw again. But when Jesus spoke to him, that's when he acknowledged he believed. We might get to the point to where we're like Lazarus and Jesus loves us. Yet we die. But we are assured that when he comes back, he will call and the dead in Christ will raise and meet him. So we don't have to worry about the fact that we might not be physically alive when he comes back because his sheep will hear his voice and the grave will not stop those who follow Christ from returning to meet him when he returns. We know his voice, so we're led by it. It doesn't mean it's always easy, but it means that we're taken care of. It means that we're not walking alone. And it means that where we go, Christ has gone before, making the way for us to greener pastures. Because part of God's love for Christ is rooted in the fact that Christ loves us. Christ loves what God created. We are his creation. And the more and more we understand that, the easier it is to live as God's flock. Not everybody's going to understand it. But if we have faith, we'll be okay. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? 
God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.